And we got a great service again today. It's always good to be with you. Today we get to celebrate uh, that we have some new officers joining us. So that's a big part of our service. But before that, we're going to hear God's word here in Nehemiah. And I'm telling you, it's an important word for us. It's timely. And so let me just challenge you to lean in. You really focus. Uh, you know, I know we got a couple things here left that are awesome, um, but let me challenge you that God's word is before us. God's spirit is with us and he is here to enlighten us and to encourage us and to make us more like his son, Jesus. So would you join me in prayer as we begin uh, the preaching of God's word? Let's pray together. Oh, Father God, the reality of every hour is that we need you. But God, this hour, this moment, I need you so desperately. Father, for your glory, for the health of your church, would you come and would you speak through a broken vessel that desperately needs you and the blood of Christ and his righteousness and the empowerment of his spirit. Father, we need you. We need to hear from you. We need to understand your word. Uh, We need to be encouraged by you. We need to be challenged by you. We just need to see you. We need to love you. We need to be obedient to you. So God, would you come? It is your grace that saves us this day. Would you give us a fresh dose? Would you soak us? and your love and your grace. For your glory we pray, amen. All right, when was the last time you were halfway through a project, uh, you're working on something and all of a sudden completely hit a wall? Uh, maybe, maybe you were uh, decorating a new room. Uh, maybe uh, you were preparing for some event like uh, a 5K. Maybe you were studying for a final exam. I know our our college students are back. And by the way, we got a new equipping center for you just next week. We're so excited about. But maybe uh, as you were preparing for finals, all of a sudden you just, you kind of, you hit a wall. Uh, Maybe for some of you it's in work. And maybe even for some it's going on even now. Where you got something before you and something's big. And and all of a sudden you just get to that point where everything just kind of gives out. You're just kind of weak and you just you have a hard time even putting one foot in front of each other just because you're so overwhelmed. Haven't you been there? I know so many of us have. And sadly, I know that many of us are right now going through the same thing. It's amazing what fatigue can do. It's kind of wearing us out. And then we lose our strength and you start saying, can I, can I really do this? I mean, can I, can I pass this exam? Can I, can I finish this project? Can I really, really do it? And you lose your vision. After your strength goes, you lose your vision. What do you start doing? You start looking at all the stuff around you. You say, how did I, how did I get here? Look at this mess. You start putting your eyes on those things around you. And, and again, because your strength's gone. And then all of a sudden, that vision. And then, and then what happens next? Your confidence. And really, what's along those lines? It's like, man, I'm not sure I'm, not sure I'm good enough. I, I just don't know if I can do this. And then... If you really get discouraged, then you want to say, I quit. I don't have the heart for this. I just can't. That's the power of discouragement. 
that's the power of when you hit the wall. And I know many of you have been there. Just, just when something, you're, you're in the midst of it, and all of a sudden, boom, and, and you just can't seem to go on. It's, it's just uh, that power that, that's taken away from us, and all of a sudden we just feel limp and fatigue. Well, that's exactly where Nehemiah was with his people. It's exactly where they are. I mean, he's dealing with people that, that have all of a sudden had a power outage. I mean, it's amazing. So, so far as we've read through Nehemiah, we've preached through Nehemiah, we see God's hand so clearly upon them and, and they're doing great work and everybody together is, has been uh, risen up to do the work of God. Matter of fact, in chapter 4, 6, it says with, with a heart for God and a mind for God, they're working so hard. And we know this about Nehemiah, they're getting criticized. I mean, there's a bunch of people who don't like what they're doing and they're continually criticizing them and they're sarcastic to them, but they seem to have overcome so much, but yet they get to this point and all of a sudden, power outage, all of a sudden they fail and they don't feel like they can go anymore. The amazing thing is, is they're halfway done. Just last week, we said that walls were halfway done. They've accomplished so much. Listen, they've been at it for a month. One month, they are rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. In one month, they're halfway done. And yet, they stop. Isn't it true that the second half of a project is often much harder than the first? Isn't that true? You, know, you got that enthusiasm, that excitement. You kind of can picture what the room's going to look like. You're redecorating. You're excited to, to get through this class or get through this project. And you, you jump right in. And all of a sudden, you get about a halfway home. And all of a sudden, oh, man. Can I go on? Well, that's what Nehemiah was facing. He was facing a bunch of folks who says, uh, we can't do this. We can't go on. So what he does is uh, Nehemiah literally gathers the entire nation. He literally does it. And interestingly, by the way, uh, uh, the word literally for young people is used as uh, something to give uh, great emphasis. I don't think they understand literally, you know? I mean... It's funny because, like, I saw that my, my eyes literally fell out. Like, really? They literally fell out. No, no. They didn't do that. Uh, and, and you kind of lose the meaning of literally. So this little English lesson literally means it literally happened. It really happened, all right? It's not just emphasis. Like, it's really, it's like literally it happened. So literally, Nehemiah, which means he really did do this, he gathers everybody. He gathers everybody, and he's going to speak into their lives. Here's what he's going to tell them. He's going to say, I'm going to re- cause you to remember I'm going to say, well, this is what you're to remember. This is what you're to fight for. This is how you're to work. And that's what Nehemiah does. I mean, you can picture, again, kind of William Wallace, because they're in the midst of enemies. They're surrounded by enemies. They're absolutely fatigued. I mean, they've hit rock bottom, and they don't want to go on anymore. And he gathers them all by their family, and he puts them all up together, and he stands before them, and he's going to just basically say, remember. Well, you see what? Fight work. And amazingly, it works. Nehemiah lived a long time ago, but we're going to see that Nehemiah gives us four timeless reasons for a power outage in our life today. Maybe some of you experiencing it. Maybe you don't know why. We're going to see, you want to follow through on the bulletin. It'll give us four timeless truths of what causes a power outage. And then he's going to give us three keys. Three's like, these are the things to turn the lights back on, to get the power surge going again. First one is this power outage. What's the beginning of it? Well, it's the loss of strength. It begins with fatigue. I mean, they've been working nonstop for a month. They're really, really tired. 
But you know, the fatigue begins this way in this, in this passage. Listen, it's a corporate fatigue. It's a community fatigue. Look back at verse 10. How does this whole uh, section start? In Judah, it was said. So in Judah, this is the heartbeat of the people. This is the how the community is doing right now. In Judah, it is said. And so basically they're saying, everybody's saying the same thing. And everybody's really, really worn out. It's amazing what uh, corporate feeling or a community feeling could be like. We've got to be very, very careful of that with the church. I've seen it. A church where they all say, well, we, we, we can't do this project or, or we've tried that. Or when all of a sudden, Orangewood said there's this community feeling or this what the community says collectively. Man, is that powerful. It's powerful in the positive. Hey, we can do this. Do you really believe, Orangewood, that we can change Central Florida because of the gospel through us? Do we really believe that, that differences in our lives and our neighbors' lives can happen through us? Or can we corporately say together, like they were saying, no, we can't do this. It's amazing what the power of labeling thing does. Uh, I remember uh, being a coach in in Maitland Little League for several years, and this was the season. And, you know, often a kid would get labeled or a family would get labeled. and, And all of a sudden, everybody's saying that about this kid or that family. And it's amazing. I've seen kids that have, that have things early on in their career. You know, hey, he, he, he doesn't make much contact. And that's kind of labeled on him. And, and before you know it, he's just kind of stuck with that. No matter what happens. And so we got to be really, really careful as a church and as a community not to label each other and, and not to be discouraged and not corporately say what we can't do because it causes great fatigue. I'm telling you, if we together say, ah, it doesn't really matter. We can't do it. So corporate fatigue was the beginning. And we got to make sure. Let me ask you a question. Are you adding to the corporate or community fatigue? Or you say fight and say, no, no, we can do all things through Christ. Then there's physical fatigue. I mean, it says the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. I bet they are. I mean, they're basically working 24-7. I mean, they've been doing it for a month. And just physically, they're worn out. That's what they've been doing. These, these, these people of God for an entire month. What great news. Today, we ordain seven deacons. Today, seven new deacons. And today, we have four of our five new elders that we are ordaining. And these, these men are going to come and they're going to help carry a lot of the burden of the leadership. And I can assure you this, that your leadership's tired. Uh, the ordained deacons, we're, we're down to four guys. Uh, we got down to four uh, and man, did they have to do a lot of things for us. And this is this physical fatigue, physically, just kind of, oh man, I mean, I've been setting up and tearing down for so long. It's amazing the power of physical fatigue. Let me ask you this. Are you helping carry the burdens of this church? Financially, are you helping carry? Are you helping carry with responsibilities and, and you know, not, not just nursery duty and, and set up and tear down, but how are you helping us? Accomplish what God has before us. Then there's the psychological fatigue. And maybe this is the worst. The psychological fatigue. The, the, uh, the Israelites, you know what they've been told over and over again? We're going to kill you. Right in that passage, uh, right in verses 11 and 12, he says, you're not going to know. So we're going to do this by stealth. You're not going to hear, but we're going to come to you and we're going to kill you. Now that is what you call not a very motivational thing. 
They're out there working for the Lord and they're being told your life will end with what you do. By God's grace, I doubt that any of you is being whispered to over and over again, this will cost you your life. But Jesus Christ calls us to lie down our lives for him. And are we doing it? Psychological fatigue. Now he says this. He says, our enemies are all around us. I mean, everywhere we go. And last week I pointed out that the enemies that God's word gives us in Nehemiah, the names we don't understand, the Ammonites, and, and where are they from? And who, who, who's this? And who's Geshem? And where are they? Listen, the bottom line is God's trying to say his people are surrounded by an enemy that doesn't want them to accomplish God's task. Everywhere they go. Matter of fact, it says this. Ten times they've heard. Stop. Ten times. How irritating is it to hear ten times one thing? Summer vacation. Are we there yet? Over and over and over and over again. Fatigue. Fatigue. Absolute psychological fatigue. Because they thought, hey, we're going to get killed. We're completely surrounded. Stop what you're doing. Church of Jesus Christ here at Orangewood, you got to know that we're surrounded by an enemy who hates us and wants to tell us over and over again we're insignificant. We can't make a difference. That it doesn't really matter. And that could become psychological fatigue. And we got to make sure we're looking to Christ Jesus. Spurgeon said this. Spurgeon said, the reigning fear of God or our love for God, the reigning fear of God is the best antidote against the ensnaring fear of man. What he's basically saying is this, we should have our focus on Christ, we should know and love him that who is in control of all things, that he should be our love and fear so much that it deafens or drowns out what the world is saying. Are we listening to the world inside and out? Or to our great God? You see what they had is they had a lack of focus. I mean that's what it is. Once you get tired, your focus goes. Follow the chain of events here. They lost their focus. The loss of vision is the second one. Uh, There's too much rubble. I mean, all of a sudden they say, listen, we can't do this. It's it's too much rubble. They didn't have any more rubble than they had when they started. I mean, really, the conditions were getting better, not worse. And yet all of a sudden their focus went from, man, we're building for God and his glory to look at all the rubble. We can't do this. And they lost their focus. I wonder why now? Why now? They've endured so much. They've been ridiculed so much. You know what I truly believe? When things become about us, when things become about our needs, when we start looking not upward to God and what he's called us, but inward to where we are, guess what we find? Rubble. Brokenness. Weariness. So when we say, listen, church of Jesus Christ, we got to continually remind ourselves, we are here for Christ and his kingdom. We are here for his glory. We are here to be a city on a hill. We are here for his reputation. We are here to advance the reign and rule of Jesus. Our focus needs to be on our king. And when it's not, and when it's on ourselves, guess what we're going to know? We're so broken. We're so feeble. We're so needy. Yes, we are. But he is so great. And doesn't our enemy love to point out our rubble? Oh, man, we talked a little bit about this last week. Doesn't our enemy like to show you the rubble in your life? You are so undone. Your life is so half complete. You are so this and so not that. 
And our enemy loves to use it. Listen, we got a battle going on, not just from outside, but the inside flesh loves to show us the rubble of our lives, loves to remind us over and over and over and over again of all that we are not. That is why we have to be a community, not only focusing on Jesus, but focusing on the gospel, focusing on who we are in Christ, that we're complete, that we're loved, that we're forgiven, that we're his. Focus on him because he is greater. You know, I think we believe the lie that somehow God wants us to be self-sufficient. We live in America, and I tell you what, that's something that you, we, we try to teach our children from the beginning. Stand on your own two feet. Make good decisions for yourself. Be self-sufficient. But you know, in the Bible, and the gospel, God never wants us to be self-sufficient. Do you know it really, in many ways, self-sufficiency is antithetical to the gospel? Do you know that the gospel and, and God's word want you to know how amazingly that you are not sufficient enough of yourself? Do you know that God gives you his word to be a mirror to show you all your brokenness? Why? So you can learn to be self-sufficient? No. So that you can know that there's a savior named Jesus who you can do all things through him. That God doesn't want us to all of a sudden become self-sufficient. God wants us to abide in who he is and what he has done. What a difference. And I tell you what, it seems like we got to... We got that lie every day. We wake up every day saying, I, I, I got to be self-sufficient today. I got to be on my own today. I got I to do it. I got to pull myself up by my bootstraps and, and make today better than it was yesterday. And man, does the enemy like to whisper in your, your failure. You're not doing it. God and his gospel through Jesus Christ wants us to look at our self-sufficient, our, our, ourselves, our insufficiency, our brokenness, and our rubble. And he wants us to rejoice in the reality that God loves us in the midst of rubble. And God is going to use us in the midst of brokenness. And God can do all things through us. If you're here today and you're dragging around a weight of that you're not good enough, that, that you're not sufficient enough, listen, that's not from God from the enemy. He just wants you to turn just as you are and focus on him and rejoice in who we are in Christ. Let me ask you this question. Are you focusing on God or are you focusing on your rubble? It's easy to focus on rubble, but God says, abide in me, lift your eyes to me. Loss of focus, too much rubble, too many enemies. Again, we are in this battle. They are all around us. Our enemy is great. Let's don't, uh, let's don't be naive, church, that there is an enemy that would love to take us down, love to stain the name of Jesus Christ and his bride, even here at Orangewood. But do we realize that our God is greater than our enemy? Do we realize that our God is greater than even our flesh and our depravity? Do we realize that the word today in heaven that's being echoed the loudest is the goodness of God, not the depth of our sin? Think about that. God wins. God's all-powerful. Our enemy is a defeated foe. Are you focusing on your enemy? Maybe that's your mirror. Are you focusing on your enemy or are you focusing on God? With the loss of strength came the loss of vision. With the loss of vision came the loss of confidence or fear. They said, we can't do this. 
by ourselves, we aren't able. Remember, God never wanted to do it by themselves. They never could do it by themselves. But all of a sudden, they lost their confidence. And we know that maybe they needed to be like Tim Tebow. Maybe they need to put on in that big sun in the sky, those little, uh, little things under their eyes. It says Philippians 4.13. And they need to be reminded a little bit. It says that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You, may, you and I are going to lose our confidence in ourselves. Some of you are amazingly talented, but still there's an end to your confidence, and there should be. But what we can never lose as God's people is our confidence in Him. Our hope in Him. Is your confidence in yourself or is it in Christ? Loss of confidence came the loss of their heart. Their failure. Basically, in chapter 4, verse 6, it says they had an amazing unified heart and mind to work for the Lord. And all of a sudden, power outage. All of a sudden, couldn't do it. Fatigue, focus, fear led to failure. And they stopped. They'd been there before. We've talked about this in Nehemiah. You know, failure is a difficult thing. Once you start failing, it's hard not to repeat that, isn't it? Once you feel like a loser, you kind of try to, you you wind up proving it over and over again. This is so important because God's people really have had so many false starts. They've, They've had so many failures. Here we go again. Can't do it. And they quit. But the power surge. Now we find Nehemiah. This man that God raised up to lead the people in such an amazing way. Uh, he's going to switch, put the switch back to on. Again, I, I like picturing William Wallace. If uh, you saw uh, Braveheart, um, he really, he, what Nehemiah does is he, he gets the families together because guess what? He wants you to be next to those who you care about the most. And he wants you to see who you're really going to be fighting for here in a minute. And he rallies the Lord. But here's where he starts. He gets them all together by their clans, it says. And, and by the way, they stop working. They're about ready to fight. And we're going to see in, a, in next, next week that they're going to actually work and be prepared to fight the whole time from here on out. But now, really, all, here, here we have God's people. They're, they're no longer working. They're just standing there with their, their, their swords and their spears and their bows. And here's what he says to them. Remember. Remember the Lord. I love it. He doesn't say, remember the person next to you. Everybody hold up their spear. Remember your spear. Everybody remember your strength. Remember what we can do. No, 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 none of that. He says this, listen, remember the Lord. Why? Because he is great and awesome. Yes, I know that it seems like you're in dire situations, but let us fix our eyes together. Remember him who is great and awesome. I did what I did. I had an exercise I did and we don't have time to go through it, but I took from that point right there and went back and looked at all the ways God was described in Nehemiah and I was blown away. Creator, lover, sustainer, shepherd, Emmanuel. I mean, all the terms that reminded us over and over and over and over again, because we forget and we forget and we forget. Do you know that our God is great and mighty? He is. Not your spears, not your numbers. What's he say in verse 15? In the midst of all this, listen, God frustrates their plans. In verse 20, that we're going to get to next week, he says, God fights for us. Remember the Lord. He frustrates their plans. He fights for us. Is God your strength today? 
God has to be our vision and our focus. There are a lot of storms we're going to go through in life. And that's just the reality. I mean, for Christians, there's probably more than there are less because we're in this battle. But here's the reality about who we are in Christ Jesus. There'll never be a storm that Jesus is not in the boat with us through that storm. And Jesus is going to do one of two things. He's going to stand up at the right time and say, quiet. Or he's going to say to your inner soul, quiet. I'm with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm the captain. We're making it home. I don't lose any. Focus on me in my strength. I love that, that verse, uh, that song. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the cares of earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of his glory and grace. How is it with you today? Are your eyes focused on the brokenness around you or are you, by God's grace, turning your eyes and your vision to turn back that power? Your focus on Jesus. Is God your vision? God is our peace. If we've lost our confidence and we're living in fear, we have to be continually reminded that God is our peace. In Christ Jesus, we have peace with a holy God. In Christ Jesus, we should have peace with who we are as his. In Christ Jesus, we should have peace with one another. That should be driving out the fear that lives inside of us and have that reality. In Christ Jesus, I have confidence. I can do it. I can do all things through Christ. Is Christ your peace? God is our our success. Is that the reality? Do we measure our success individually and corporately and who we are in Christ Jesus? We have Jesus, therefore we have success. Listen to this reality. We have his completeness for our incompleteness. We have his wholeness for our brokenness. We have his uh, holiness for our sinfulness. We have his success for our failure. We have success. Whoever you are today, wherever you are, no matter what rubble you have, do you know that if you are his and you are in Christ Jesus, you are eternally successful. God loves you. Christ's work is complete for you. The Holy Spirit's inside of you. Wow, success is ours in Christ. But we cannot live by what the world tells us success is. We can't live by their motto or their definition. Let me tell you the definition of success in God's eyes. Faithfulness. Faithfulness to your king. Faithfulness to your savior. Faithfulness to love him through all of the storms. Jesus is our success. Then fight for your family. He says this, remember the Lord. Then he says, fight for your family. I love that. He, he, by the way, he's so smart. He puts them together by families. He has them looking at their wives and their sons and their daughters. And you know, he says, fight for them, fight for them. Lose your other battles in life. Lose the battle for promotion. Lose the battle for significance. Lose the battle for whatever you're fighting for if it's in competition with your family. Don't fail there. Don't lose that one. Andy Stanley, the pastor of North Point, 
preach one of those sermons and they all say that there's like three or four sermons that we remember. I'll always remember Chuck Green's Pass the Potatoes. It's all, it's all time great. I'll always remember Andy Stanley's Don't Cheat. And you'll all remember this one. Probably not. But anyway, um, Andy Stanley, the pastor at North Point, great communicator, amazing leader uh, of the church. And he was preaching. The title of his sermon was Choose to Cheat. And right away, man, that's pretty interesting. And the point of his sermon briefly was this, is that in life there are so many opportunities and so many responsibilities that you have around you, you'll never get to them all. What are you going to choose not to do? What are you going to choose to let incomplete and not be poured into? And Stanley was a driven, successful pastor, and he realized he was the first one in and the last one out, and he realized that his kids were at a certain age, and God convicted him, and he was convicted that he had to leave every day at 3 o'clock because that's the hour he needed to be home. And he goes, I was embarrassed. I mean, I'm the senior pastor. I mean, I, I, I wanted to set the tone, and I want everybody to see me that I was the first one there and the last one out, and I wanted to work the hardest. But he realized, he says, I'm losing my family. So I could be seen as a successful pastor. He said, I won't do it. I'm going to do that. Fight for your family. It's more important than your practice. It's more important than your job. It's more important than your reputation. Fight for them. Spend time with them. Turn your attention there. When you fight for the family, you start by this. You get healthy. Get healthy yourself. Get healthy in Christ Jesus. Make sure that you're drinking deeply the gospel. Make sure you're in God's word. Make sure you're in prayer and listening to God. If you want to fight for your family, the where you begin is getting yourself right with God and listening to him. Not only fight for your family, fight for your church family. We need you. God's called you here. The reason that we're putting you into small groups is to give you a better opportunity to fight for each other know each other deeper, to really be able to stand up for each other, to call each other on the carpet. That's the way we're able to fight for one another. Then lastly, return to work. Return to work. They all did. They heard the gospel and they got up and they they continued. Now work is a dirty word oftentimes in society, but it's not a dirty word for God. Do you know that God created us to be workers? That we're to work in his name? That's, That's what we're created for? You know, in Ephesians chapter 2, in verse 8, there really is a high watermark for what the gospel is all about. In Ephesians 2, 8, it says this. It says, by God's grace, his grace alone, we are saved. Not by works, so that no one can boast. It's a, it's a gift of God. It's through faith. It's amazing. But you know what he says in, cha- in verse 10, right after that? He says this, for we are in Christ Jesus. We are his workmanship. We're his masterpiece. All of creation is God's workmanship. But we as redeemed sinners in the name of Jesus, we're his workmanship. We are created, recreated in Christ Jesus to do good works, to work, to do that which God has prepared in advance that we should walk in them. So we are here, Orangewood, you are here corporately and individually, here for God's glory to accomplish what he put you on this earth to do through your job, through your family, through your neighborhood, but it's all for him. So let me ask you a question. Are you working for the Lord? Are you here today at this church? I mean, do you get your work clothes on? Do you realize this this place is for you and, and, and for his glory, but he's gifted you for him. Are you serving the church? It says this, each one individually went back to their work. 
I love that fact. There's a reality that we got to do it together. Together we're a city on a hill. Together we're called to shine for Jesus. But individually, each one doing his part. You see, Jesus came to this world so that we can know and love the Father. He rescued us so that we can be empowered to rescue others in his name and to build his kingdom for his glory, to do his work. Today we celebrate some unique workers that God raises up. We call elder, deacon, gone through a lot to help carry the burden and load. But as you see these men come forward and you see them take their vows, let me ask you, use this time to examine your heart. God, what am I doing? How am I? Am I paralyzed by fear or am I empowered? Is there, a, is there a power surge going on in me or is there a power outage? Turn to the gospel. Turn to Jesus. Take your eyes off your rubble. Look to him for great things. He came for the glory of us all, to rescue us all. Let us pray together. And Father God, I thank you for this amazing gospel that Nehemiah points us to. In the midst of all the rubble in our lives, you say, I, I, I have to be your focus. I have to be your confidence. I know you're weary. Look to me. I know there's a lot of junk around you. Look to me. I know you want to quit and give up. Look to me. I love what Nehemiah says. Remember the Lord. God, may we remember you every step of the way. We need you every hour. God, would you cause us to fight for our families? Our families here, our individual and, um, families, our corporate family here at Orangewood. And Father, may we get to work. May we do the work you have for us. Why? So you love us and you already love us. Why? So that we could be the city on the hill you've called us to. So corporately and individually, you could use us to change the world. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.